Well, good to see you. Good to see everyone. Um, thanks for making the effort. Um, it's really nice to sit together. Uh, thank you very much for your practice and for being here. Um, it's, it's nice to see familiar faces, to sit with people who you've sat with for a while and some who you haven't, and um, to reconnect with the familiar trees and the gardens and just the whole, the building. Uh, so it's, it's like kind of going home to family. Uh, kind of a spiritual family, so it's like, nice to see you, nice to sit together. Uh, and it, it has that, it really makes me feel really warm inside, so it's really nice. Kobun Chino Otagawa Roshi. We've been getting to know our root lineage teacher, um, who really has established the spirit of our practice here. And one of the aspects of Coben's personality and his approach to the Dharma and to teaching is what I'm calling slippery boundaries. <clears throat> Very typically, uh, he comes from a, a Japanese lineage and Typically in Japan, everything is very formal, as he often says. Um, there's a monastic life, and there are rules and regulations, and it's, there's hierarchy, and everything, the rules are respected. However, when he came to this country, he very quickly found out there's a reason why there aren't very many monasteries in, in America. We're not terribly fond of hierarchies and uh, a lot of formality. However, there is a form. There are forms to our practice. It's not as if we just come here and lie down on the floor and fall asleep, which is what many of us might want to do on a Sunday morning. Um, so we do have a form, we have forms, but we're not particularly formal. So there is a spirit of informality, of Coben made this distinction between hard practice and American practice, <laughs> which didn't mean necessarily that American practice was easy, but I think he was suggesting that Practice in this country had to feel natural. It wasn't, it wasn't highly ritualized. It wasn't highly rigid so that when you were, as I often say, when you're sitting on your cushion, you're a flesh and blood Buddha. You're not a stone Buddha. And as soon as you begin to become rigid and, and feel your muscles contracting and it doesn't feel, this is a perfectly natural thing to do. I mean, this position isn't, particularly natural, but once you begin practicing in this position, grounded, it becomes quite natural. It becomes, yeah, this is, this is where I need to be. I need to be connected. So one of the aspects of 
Coben's approach was to begin to soften the boundaries between everything, between people, between student and teacher in particular. And I wanted to share uh, a reminiscence, a couple of reminiscences of uh, Coben's students to kind of illustrate what, what, what Coben was able to do in terms of his relationships uh, and his student-teacher boundaries uh, that he was able to make quite slippery. So this is a, this is a, reminiscent, a reminiscence from a, a book of reminiscences from his students. He's, as you know, drowned with his little eight-year-old daughter uh, in a very tragic accident. Uh, and after he passed, his students got together and wrote stories about their memories of him. And this one is from a fellow named Trout. He says, I told Coben, they were, we were on a walk at night. I told Coben that I had reached a transition point in both my work and in the place where I lived. I asked him if there was anything he'd like me to do, anywhere he'd like me to go. And Coben replied, you think you are walking behind me, Coben said, but that's not the way it actually is. He stepped behind me, took my shoulders in his hands, and firmly pushed me forward ahead of him. The truth is, you are walking ahead of me. I turned and looked at him. I remember the street lamp's light on Coben's face. And Coben said, it's good for you to occasionally look behind you to see if I'm doing okay, he said. And if I see you're not paying attention to where you're going, I promise I'll kick you in the butt. <laughs> So here's an instance where his student was creating a boundary, asking Coben, what should I do? How should I, how should I follow you? And Coben switched the boundary. He said, you walk ahead and I'll walk behind. And every now and then you can look behind the line and see how I'm doing. And if I see that you're not walking in the, in the right direction, in the natural direction, I'll give you a little kick. So he was able not to maintain this rigid, I'm the teacher, you're the student. But no, you, you walk ahead now. So that was a reversal of this boundary and then this same person says, at the conclusion of a sashin, a student with tears flowing down her face asked Coben when her crying would finally end. Coben was quiet for a while. Then he said, don't be concerned with when it will end. Just let the crying be 
and we'll all cry with you. No boundary. Boundaries disappear. Don't worry about stopping the crying. Just know that we're all crying with you. There's no, no division here. It's not you crying and then we're over here <laughs> behind the line and, you know, we'll, we'll watch you. But no, don't worry. We'll cross the line and we'll be with, we'll cry with you. So this was a way in which Coben was able to slip boundaries to, to be very flexible in where he drew lines between himself and others. However, he was also um, able to respond in a different way. Um, this is a, a fellow also who studied with Coben, his name is Stephen Bodian. And he left Coben to join a monastery because he wanted to sit hard. <laughs> and he says, after I moved to the monastery, friends reported that Coben had given a lecture in which he derided the practice of sitting hard, the concentrated goal-oriented meditation I hope to do at the monastery, dismissing it as a misunderstanding of true Zen practice and referring to me by name and admonished his students to sit soft instead. Although Coben visited the monastery once while I was there and we talked briefly after the death of a mutual friend, he became more and more inaccessible to me. And we gradually drifted apart. I called occasionally, but he rarely answered the phone. And he didn't really want to talk. In 1992, I sent him a copy of my first book, which bore the dedication to Koben Chino Otagawa, who first showed me the way, but I never heard back from him. Koben? No. For some reason, you left the relationship. Was it personal? Was it about not following the sitting soft approach that Coben had introduced him to? Don't know. We know that Coben drew a very clear line. No. So, Boundaries, they are very interesting. What, what is a boundary? 
you know, we very much talk these days about establishing strong boundaries, right? I want my space. I, this is my space. And we say strong boundaries are good. We read the poem by Robert Frost. Um, building walls. Building walls. It's important to build walls. But what is a boundary except a form of separation? Right? In our practice, we talk about interdependence. So how do we reconcile being interdependent, not being separate, and establishing a boundary, which immediately does separate us. At least we think it does. But if you consider the nature of a boundary, as soon as you create a boundary, you've created a relationship. I've been trying to find a way to communicate this notion of this truth of interdependence which yet preserves difference because we we often talk about being one with everything that is not interdependence that's not being just dissolving every difference. So I have some visual aids, which unfortunately people who listen to this online probably will not understand. But this is, this is my show and tell part of my Dharma talk. This is a, an image of, you may have seen, it's very common, figure and ground. So here we are, right? There's a boundary here between, can you see the faces? And can you see their vase? It's a clear boundary, black and white. But neither one of these can exist without the other, right? They make up the very form of the other. You cannot, it's the edge that create, it's the boundary that creates the connection. See? Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's one, one form. That's one very clear way in which you see a boundary connecting. And also, keeping out black and white. Then there is another form of figure and ground. This Taishan appreciate these. This is the cat and the mouse. Do you see? So this is a more integrated figure and ground. There is a dynamic here. It's not just an image. It's not just a picture. There's a relationship between the cat and the mouse, and we already see that. 
we, there's a little story that that we have kind of developed. So it's not just that the form is different and yet connected, codependent. It's the story is also, there's, there's a little bit of a narrative here where there's a connection between, a meaningful connection between this image and that. So there's a, there's a different kind of boundary, different kind of relationship. And then there's this one. I don't know. How many of you have uh, seen this image? You've seen this? Yeah. You've seen it. Seen it? It took me a long time <laughs> to find the young woman in this. Um, but this, these two images are so interconnected that it, it kind of makes you dizzy. To, it's, this is, these are fairly clear but these you really have to enter into. So in our lives, there are some relationships, boundaries, that are very clear. And there are some that we kind of slip in and out of. Uh, we release, we push the boundary, you know, some, some, some people talk about. You're pushing my boundaries. Um, and then there are others which are so intertwined that you can barely find where, the bound, where I end and where you begin. Right? That's often with family uh, and pets, maybe. Um, it's, it's just impossible to pull yourself apart from this, I, I remember talking with a young a, a fellow um, who had a very unfortunate marriage, and we had we were having lunch, and I I said, well, if you're so unhappy, why don't you just separate? And he said, I wouldn't even know how to begin. We are our our. Ourselves, our, our cells are so intertwined. We're like a vine that has become so intertwined that I don't know how to pull it. I don't know where I end and where, where these two intertwining vines, how they can be separated. So there are, there are many, many forms of creating boundaries, but most of the time they establish exactly what we're trying to prevent, namely relationship. Isn't that curious? That, that the very way in which we think we're separating from something connects us like those two neighbors. The very way in which we try to disconnect connects us. Otherwise, there's just this field of activity where 
you know, you look up, you're in, a, in an airplane and you look down at the United States as you're flying over. Where are, where are the states? Where, where, where are the lines? Right? <laughs> and then when you're up in space, you look down at the planet. I was just listening about, they found some stardust. You know, just, I kind of envy Daigon sometimes because you have a perspective of exploding suns in stellar space. Where are the boundaries? These boundaries that we, we create, um, they're basically, there are no boundaries. But when we create them, when we create them, we're creating a self. That's, that's the act of separation is the act of selfing. And it starts very early in the womb. (laughs) When you get pulled out of this beautiful womb of warmth and complete dependence, and suddenly you're separate. Cut that cord. (laughs) And then we think we've become a separate self, right? A new thing. The fact of the matter is we're still in the womb. We're still in this womb. But it, we're in the delusion that we're separate. Because we're constantly creating separation, which is the same thing as to say we're constantly creating self, a self, and it starts really early. So... I've been observing how how much we engage in this act of boundary making, which is the act of separating. I was standing in the uh, waiting to come in for Jindo this morning, and I was looking at the four uh, images of the four seasons on the wall, and I was thinking. Those are very beautiful. But how, how many of us actually experience the seasons? Really are in the seasons in the way these two are in, them, in each other. We have houses. We have clothing. We have air conditioning. We have heating. So we're, we're separating from direct experience. Farmers now, you know, people who are garden, garden, you know, you sit in the tractor and you're separate from the earth. And sometimes the farmers are sitting up in air-conditioned cabs in tractors and they're listening to YouTube or something while they're, while they're harvesting the straw. I mean, they're not, they're not engaged. So our technologies, they're supposed to connect us, but actually they separate us. They're, they create boundaries. We, and we begin to think that, that what we're seeing in the image is the, the, the thing that we're really directly connected with. So just 
imagine all the ways in which you're separating. Um, we have pain, we take pills, separating from our pain. So many different ways. Everything, the, the machine, you know, we don't, we don't scrub the floor anymore. And hands and knees, I remember when I was a kid, mother made me. But no, now we have, uh, what, uh, you know, the electric, no, we have the robotic, We have the robotic vacuum cleaner. So, you know, we're sitting, that's doing it. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. We've created distance. We've created space. We've created separation. And of course, we do this with with people all the time. You know, this is your role. This is my role. (laughs) You stay in your box. I'll stay in my box. And then and you can feel it when you begin kind of treading over a boundary. It's like, uh, you can feel the energy. Oh, no, don't go there. Right? So, and yet that very, that very dynamic is alive. That's where the relationship is most alive, when it's not actually happening. When it's, when it's moving apart. We need to keep this up. We need to keep separating. Because if we don't, we just become vulnerable to dependence, to interdependence. We, we don't have control anymore. You know, we have to go back to the womb and know that you know, we, we need to maintain our integrity. And so it's scary to not to have that separation. So we have to keep doing that. The ego demands it. The constructed self demands it. That's because that's what the self does. The self separates, separates, separates. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And as long as we keep doing this, I'm here, I'm here, our self is alive. Our self feels healthy, feels feels legitimate. So this is what we call strong boundaries. Not just a continuation of keeping things separate from us, but also coloring that boundary, that boundary line, darker and darker, and maybe even expanding it making it a broader line, a bold line between us and whatever else we want to separate from. So this, is, this also slips into our personal, our inner life. What about the many selves you, you've created? I'm a Dharma teacher. I'm a mother. I'm a gardener, I'm a old woman. <laughs> uh, are there boundaries between my different roles? Is there a boundary between who I am publicly and who I am privately? Is there a boundary there? Am I aware 
that I'm different in public than I am in private? What about my professional life? Am I a different person when I'm acting professionally as opposed to when I'm with my family or when I'm, at, when I'm in a personal relationship? So what about, what about the boundaries within, within us? Sometimes there is this sense of dissociation. Like, who am I? <laughs> am I this? Am I that? Where does, where does my professional life end? Where does my personal life start? Where, where, when am I a Dharma teacher? And then when I go fix uh, the, the water downstairs, I'm just a, <laughs> I'm a plumber, you know. Who I, what am I then? No, I don't go in with my, my rock suit. So sometimes it's within us. It's where, where are my boundaries as a person? What, does anything connect all of these separate cells that I've created? I, from a Zen point of view, we would, we would say, no, there's nothing that connects them except the story that you want to tell. But we keep, we keep creating these. So I once shared this um, little story about what happens when our boundaries become really rigid, dark, bold, inflexible, sometimes permanent. A saint who was once visiting a river to take a bath found a group of family members on the banks shouting in anger at each other. He turned to his disciples, smiled and asked, why do people in anger shout at each other? The disciples thought for a while, then one of them said, because we lose our calm. That's why we shout. But why should you shout when the other person is just next to you? You can as well tell him what you have to say in a soft manner. The disciples gave some other answers, but none satisfied. Finally, the saint explained. When two people are angry at each other, their hearts distance, distance, separate a lot. To cover that distance, they must shout to be able to hear each other. The angrier they are, the stronger they will have to shout to hear each other, to cover that distance. What happens when two people fall in love? They don't shout at each other, but talk softly because their hearts are very close. The distance between them is either non-existent or very small. The saint continued, when they love each other even more, what happens? They do not speak, only whisper, and they get even closer to each other. 
less and less separation. Finally, they need not even whisper. They only look at each other, and that's all. That is how close two people are when they love each other. And then he said, so when you argue, do not let your hearts get distant. Do not say words that distance each other more, or else there will come a day when the distance is so great that you will not find the path to return. That can happen. That can happen. Separation. Separation. Can't connect. So watch, watch your separating. Watch your drawing boundaries. Watch that they don't get so rigid, so bold, so inflexible that you can't find your way back to connection. There's an antidote to treating the boundary as a separation. And Frost makes a suggestion about that, and we have that. I'll make that suggestion as a Dharma teacher. As I've said at the beginning, boundaries are not just places for separation. They're places to meet. They are places to meet. Let's meet at the fence. Let's meet at the wall. Let's meet at this edge of who, who I am. And let's meet at your edge. So there's another wonderful illustration of this. Uh, I think it was in the 14th, 15th century, there was a beautiful, I think it's like a seven-ton gold Buddha statue that was built. Solid gold, tons of solid gold in Thailand. And in order to protect it from being stolen or vandalized, it was covered in plaster with little pieces of um, colored glass. It was still quite attractive, but not, not obviously tons of gold. And for a couple of hundred years, it sat in a temple like that. Then in, uh, in 1955, they moved that statue to another temple in Thailand, in Bangkok. And as they were moving it, a piece of the plaster fell off. And someone noticed that there was some gold under, underneath the plaster. And they started chipping away at it. And lo and behold, what was uncovered was this. You can look, look this up online. Um, but best, go see it. <laughs> um, um, this beautiful solid gold 
statue. This is a kind of metaphor for us. There's, there's a, there's a boundary between the plaster, the stucco, and the gold. The outside was stucco, the inside was gold. We could say our mundane life, our everyday life, our worldly life, all the roles, the cells that we've constructed, that stucco, that is covering over the gold. This Buddha, this golden Buddha that lives, that lives and breathes here. It seems to be protected by this, by this plaster, by this stucco, but it's really hiding it. It's imprisoning it. So I guess one of my first questions and hearing this story was, Mato, do you live in the gold or do you live in the plaster? That, where's your life? And eventually I had to answer, my life is in the boundary. It's where the stucco meets the gold. It's not one or the other. To be able to live in that boundary and move like Coben did. That boundary, if you live in it, if you actually live in it, there's no boundary. There's no boundary. There is this, uh, we often quote this, a Rumi, um, there's a field beyond right and wrong. Meet me there. Where is that field? Right here. There is no other field. And I always be you know, thinking, well, there's somewhere, somewhere there's a field beyond all these dualities. No, there's no other field. The only place beyond the duality is right in the middle. That's the field of not here, not there, right on the edge. So it's about living at the edge, living where the plaster meets the gold. That's where our life is. And that's where we meet right here, right now, right here in this Zendo, you, 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 you. We're meeting here at the edge of our stucco life and our golden life. That's what we do here. We inhabit this field. What's that called? Buddha field, called it before. But it's where our ordinary, our mundane life meets our golden, free, liberated, perfect being. So it's wonderful to meet with you here, each of us at our own edges.
just kind of emotional for me. 